Welcome to 2020 Hindsight, where we look back at old classic college football games and break them down, revisit how we remember them and what actually happened and have some fun along the way. So the idea for this came from Bill Simmons' Rewatchables podcast, where they sort of do the same thing to movies that can be watched over and over. So my name is Will Miles. You can find me on Twitter at WillMilesSEC or my website, ReadingReaction.com. With me is co-host Nick Knudsen. You can find Nick on Twitter at Nick Knudsen Face FB writing at Read and Reaction or at his website, AmericanFootballStories.com. So, Nick, you, you didn't call me out last week. I was completely butchering your name. It's not Nick Nudson. It's Nick Nudson. How, how can you let me go an entire episode while butchering your name? Oh, man. Not all of us can be named Will Miles. So, I mean, just some, some of us are used to it. So, I, I figure, like, let, let's work it in. We'll work it in next time. <laughs> well, if you missed it, last week's show was the 2006 Rose Bowl. So USC and Texas, we were looking back at that classic. And this week, we fast forward to later in 2006 when Florida faced South Carolina and Steve Spurrier's return to the swamp. So Nick, what are your sort of, uh, what are your sort of high, level, high level thoughts about this one? Well, I was at this game as a sophomore at the University of Florida, and it was one of my most memorable moments as a student in the swamp. Um, I forgot, I've been working on the Charlie Pell piece for the Read and Reaction. Uh, Spurrier had actually come to the Swamp as an assistant coach in 1979 with Georgia Tech. He was a quarterback coach at Georgia Tech. But as he said to Vern Lundquist uh, before the game, not many people cared about that then. Uh, but uh, I remember Urban Meyer being big on – he came in in 2005. Spurrier also came to South Carolina in 2005. Brief moment where is, – is he going to return to Florida before – we got hooked up with Urban Meyer. Uh, I think we had a little Bernie Machin connection. The former UF president that had come over from Utah might have facilitated a little bit of uh, communication there. But uh, I remember Meyer being very keen on taking back the swamp, and he had yet to lose in the swamp. And uh, it, it just was it was it was a big game because it, we had clinched the SEC East. The Florida had clinched the SEC East, but they were in the hunt for the national title still, and it was a must win that night. Yeah, well, for those of you who don't realize it by now, Nick, obviously a UF alum, myself as well, we're doing other games than just Florida games, but certainly there will be a bit of a homerism when it comes to this one specifically yeah. because of the two coaches involved and, and, and all, the, all the drama with Spurrier coming back to the swamp. But, well, and I, I also want to add real quick, Will, that he had made – Spurrier had made two separate trips to the swamp that year before the game. South Carolina had some Thursday night games and he had come down to put his number – retire his number in the ring of honor – it was the year. It was the hundredth year of Florida football. They debuted the Ring of Honor. They retired his number. He came down for that ceremony, and he also came down for the '96 team uh, to be celebrated too. So he, he that was his third trip to Gainesville that fall. That's a little unusual for an opposing yeah. football coach. So if we get to the game, you know. I- one of the things we, we do here on, on, on Hindsight 2020 is sort of look back and take a big picture at the things that we forgot when we go and look back. I, I got to say, the thing that I had forgotten most was that Spurrier had beaten Meyer in 2005 in Columbia. And so, you know, in fact, that loss cost Florida a shot in the SEC championship game in 2005 because they had beaten Georgia. Georgia finishes, finishes six and two in the conference while Florida's five and three. So Georgia goes to the SEC championship game. So can you imagine the noise if Meyer had lost a shot at a championship two years in a row? You already mentioned Spurrier had been down twice. They put his name up in the ring of honor. That, that's a little bit of a uh, – that's a little bit of a putting Meyer on notice there, having the old head ball coach come down, getting his, getting essentially his name retired up on that Ring of Honor during his second season. 
Right. And, and you think about the Ron Zook era at Florida, it was tough enough just to follow Spurrier. So when you don't have Spurrier right in your face competing directly against you, I mean, that's what Meyer was dealing with. And granted, we look back on the Meyer era now and you look at, you know, Florida was looking well beyond just winning the SEC East in, this, in 2006. But yeah, you needed to get that win. And that was a, it was an ugly, ugly loss in 2005. They did not play particularly well in that game up in Columbia and to come back in this year and also play in 2006 and, and play another tightly contested game where, I mean, we'll go over the game, but, man, South Carolina was right in and Spurrier had, had them uh, have a chance to win this thing. It's, it's really easy to forget that Urban Meyer was still establishing himself. So, I mean, he was 8-3 and three and 9-3 and three in two years at Bowling Green, then 10-2, and two, and everybody remembers the 12-0 and 0 at Utah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, winning at Utah is obviously impressive, but they weren't in the Pac-12 yet. And the only ranked team they beat that year when they went 12-0 and was Pitt, and that was the bowl after Meyer left. So, you know, then he comes in and he goes 9-3 and three in 2005 at Florida. So, obviously, a, a good season, but not necessarily pretending championships. And, and you know, so there's – I think there's quite a bit of pressure on Meyer at this point where it was one of those things where this maybe was one of those hinge moments where if South Carolina comes out on top, maybe the program's going in separate directions. There's a lot of chatter going into year two about yeah Meyer in year two is when it kind of takes off when the program really he really makes those strides after the first year and uh, I mean two year turnaround that's pretty unbelievable especially when you consider where the program was uh, under Zook and obviously Zook was a hell of a recruiter the roster is plenty talented but wasn't quite the perfect fit for Meyer's offense yet you know, you had the strong finish to 2005, plus the emergence of uh, young freshmen like you know, Tim Tebow, Percy Harvin. Got to see a little bit of Brandon Spikes in there, but those guys are still – there's a lot of hope coming. You knew the recruiting classes were really uh, solid. But one thing watching this is it was a real reminder that the 06 title run in Gainesville, it was nothing like in 2008. That 08 team was just a dominant force, but the 06 team kept, kept you on the edge of your seat some weeks. But they really uh, – the thing they did well was they stepped up in the right moments. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things we're going to get into when we're talking about this game today is, you know, there was a lot of debate, and I think people forget about the debate between whether Michigan should have gotten another shot with Ohio State in mm-hmm. the national championship game. And after you watch this game, you're like, hmm, maybe the Michigan fans were right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the announcers talked about needing style points in this one, and Florida certainly didn't put up any style points in it. But, you know, the other thing from a memory perspective that I had completely forgotten, freaking Rutgers, man, had, had helped – Florida to a national championship. They beat Louisville on a Thursday night going into this weekend, a last-minute short, like, 28-yard field goal. But it turns this particular game from sort of a normal SEC tilt where Florida can lose. They've already got the East clinched. They've got Florida State coming up in a week or two. You know, and they're going to play Arkansas in the SEC championship game to something that all of a sudden had national championship implications. Mm-hmm. And, you know, until that loss for, for Louisville occurred, you know, nobody really sits there and thinks, oh, you know, Florida's got a shot at the championship. But that's exactly what happened. You'll just walk into Rutgers' house and think you're going to roll over with an easy victory, Will. Well, I, Rutgers, I, took a, okay? I took a shot at Rutgers on Gators Breakdown a couple of weeks ago, and now I feel bad because Rutgers is responsible. You owe, we, owe, we owe them one. We, owe we do. One. We'll, we'll, we'll have to do one of those in about seven years when the show is really successful. We'll finally get around to the Rutgers-Louisville 2006 game. <laughs> Well, we could just in the meantime say thank you, Greg Shiano and Jeremy Ito for nailing that field goal. That was that was a hell of a Thursday night watch, and it kind of makes me miss like what 
big time college football on Thursday night. It's not really a thing anymore. They've yeah, kind of seeded it to the NFL. Well, it's funny because I went to Virginia Tech for graduate school. So those Thursday oh, yeah. night games were awesome. Yeah. You know, convincing your professors that they needed to cancel class so you could start tailgating <laughs> at eight in the morning. If the game was won, going to the bar. If the game was lost, going to the bar. Convincing your professors that maybe you should cancel class on Friday too because nobody's going to be there. Um, and then just getting to sit on your couch and recover on Saturdays for a full SEC tilt after watching Virginia Tech on a Thursday night. Yeah, man, the, the, those Thursday nighters are fun. Yeah, you don't have to miss any of the Saturday games. That's the best part. <laughs> well, so, you know, looking back, a little bit of nostalgia here. You got Vern Lundquist on the, on the mic. Uh, you know, I mentioned last week that Keith Jackson was great at the Rose Bowl the year before. But, you know, Vern really means the SEC. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary, Gary Danielson, not, not so much. <laughs> he's, he's still sort of a rough listen even, even now. But in, in this one, he was just uh, – he was interesting. We'll get into it a little bit, I'm sure. Well, Vern, Vern, this was Vern before the last few years, Vern, which I mean, he held on, he definitely held on to that post, but I thought I compared to what I remember most recently for, he was still pretty sharp. He was still going, he was still going pretty good at this point in 2006. Yeah. We had the Tebow leak rotation. So, you know, good, good to have the Tebow dive for three yards thinking he's never going to throw the ball, um, you know, on fourth down back in my life again. Um, sure thing. You know, it's, it's a sure it's, thing. We we've been waiting for that as Florida fans for the Emory Jones, Kyle Trask sort of divvying up the uh, divvying up the workload and just haven't gotten that yet. So yep. to see that Tebow leak rotation, that was kind of cool. Um, you know, the F on the center of Florida Field. You know, now they've changed it to a Gator head, which I think is probably better from a marketing perspective. And it's and it's interesting how much it stands out, just that the F is so much smaller mm-hmm. than the Gator head. But you know, it's interesting how those sorts of changes really strike you as old fashioned when you see them. I, I'm with you on that. I, I think the Gator head definitely looks good, but I think part of me, I, I do have nostalgia for that F on the center of Florida field because we just haven't had the type of success with the Gator head. So it's like, you kind of look at the Gator head and you remember like some not so great games versus yeah, you look back on that old F and you're like, yeah, there's a lot of good games on that field. I was going to say, maybe the F brings the recruits. Maybe that's the, uh, <laughs> yeah. maybe that's the secret. Yeah, that's Let's do it. So, you know, it's funny, you, you mentioned you were in the stands for this one. So I, I went with my dad to Florida LSU. He, he just moved up to Gainesville. So I went to, I went to Florida LSU that year. Um, and I have a picture of me and my sister at that game on an old BlackBerry. So, you know, the message as always is 2006 was a long time ago, and I'm really old. <laughs> and you were really fancy. You had a BlackBerry in 2006. I was a sophomore in college, man. I didn't have a BlackBerry. But I did see that Tebow jump pass. That was an unbelievable game. That was the debut of the jump pass. Yeah, well, that was the only time they let him throw the ball. Is <laughs> right for the jump pass there, and then and, and then the fake. Actually, it's interesting in this game they tried some of those fake passes with mm-hmm. Tebow, and they weren't really successful because South Carolina was pretty prepared for it. Yeah, I think I think uh, when you, get, you you look back, it was pretty simple how we used them. I think I saw a graphic during the game where they said he at one point the ratio was uh, forty eight runs to nine passes. So keep your secondary back a little bit at first and stack the box with uh, those linebackers and tell the linebackers play for the run. Keep, keep the safeties deep. Be ready for anything over the top. <laughs> so, you know, the storyline's coming back, coming into this game. Spurrier coming back to the swamp. We've talked about that a little bit. But it's really impressive when you look. He was 122 and 27 in 12 years as Florida's head coach. Plus, he won a Heisman as a player. I mean, that guy is Florida football. I'm, I'm actually – one of the things that I think is so impressive about Urban Meyer 
is that he's been able to put himself in the debate with Spurrier as, is he a better coach, right? Especially when you look at the track record at Ohio State. Um, you know, I think we can say that Ohio State is a bigger time program than South Carolina. So it's not really a fair comparison to look at at the second stop. And certainly you can't even look at Utah and really say that's much more impressive than what Spurrier did at Duke. But just to be in that conversation, I think is pretty impressive. I mean, I – I think you said it best where he, he is Florida football. I mean, it's, it, the, the man's name's on the field now. So uh, he's synonymous with, with Gator football. He took Florida football into the next level. He made that job attractive enough to bring in Urban Meyer, who was the hottest coach in the country in 2004 when he was hired in, uh, down to Gainesville. I mean, he made, he made Florida what it was. I mean, even when Ron Zook was, was in Gainesville, they weren't winning at the clip they did with Steve Spurrier. But – they were recruiting well, so they're still getting the talent in there. So there, there was never really that, like, that. that's what's interesting, too, about that era, too, is we think of the Zook years as some downtimes, but we didn't really have that, like, dip like we had with Muschamp and, and McElwain in the last decade here. How do you feel about that? Well, I mean, so I was at Florida going to school during the Zook era. So I, I saw the – I was there during 9-11 – and had the Tennessee game at the end of the year there. That'll probably show up in this in this reel of games that we go over over the next year or so. But um, you know, and then Spurrier obviously left after after that season and Zook came in. So I got the last three years of the Zook era. Mm. And uh it was pretty miserable. But that's because eight and five, nine and nine and four was not the, not the standard, right? Yeah. And it turns out that I would probably take eight and three, nine and four, or would have during those Muschamp and McElwain right. years. And, and it's funny, you know, fireronzook.com starts up during that era. That's sort of the first time somebody really sort of from the fan base started talking about using the internet to, to threaten coaches and that sort of stuff for a guy who quite honestly is probably what the third best coach at Florida over. I mean, you know, you got Mullen, you got Meyer, where does he sit in the st- in, in the in the coaches when you've got McIlwain Muschamp? What, since two thousand, you're saying? Yeah, I'm saying since uh, Spurrier since left. Spurrier, yeah, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I'd give him third best. He's third best. Third coach. out of five. <laughs> hey, I mean it's be- it's a hell of a lot higher than I would have given him if you'd have told me there were going to be three more coaches. Which ones are going to be in front of Zook? I would have said eh, all three. Yeah, I think I think we look a little more favorably on that time, yeah. especially like seeing the success Urban was able to have right away. But yeah, I mean you talk about it too. Like, really just the pressure with Meyer, too, where, where at least with Zook, Spurrier was in the NFL. He's not there, but he's coming back. It's like Spurrier was open to taking the job again. So you're stepping in. I'm sure there's some boosters that would have said, hey, why don't we go get Spurrier? Who's this Meyer guy? I'm sure that happened to some extent. But there was plenty of support for Meyer. I remember being – I remember personally as a freshman being happy that they hired Meyer, too, because I felt like, well, Spurrier left. Like, he, he wanted a change. And I felt like South Carolina was probably a, a good fit for him at the time too because I, I was just interested to see what he, what he would do with that program because Lou Holtz had a little bit of success. But, man, Spurrier, Spurrier uh, got that thing up and running in Columbia pretty good like right after, right after Urban left. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's one of the other things is there was really pressure on Florida in this one to – or at least – we thought there was pressure on Florida in this one to generate style points, right? That Florida really mm-hmm. supposedly needed to whip an inferior South Carolina team. It's at home. Granted, you've got all the, all the emotion of Spurrier coming back, but you know, the thing was set up for them with the, with the Louisville Rutgers game that we talked about already. It was really set up for Florida to run straight to the Fiesta Bowl and get into that national championship game. Um, but, uh, but obviously that's not what happened. That's why we're reviewing this one because it, it was a whole lot closer than the experts thought. 
Yeah, I do you miss the phrase style points? By the way, BCS, you, you really miss that phrase? Yes, absolutely I do because <laughs> I, I'm I am an exclusionary person who who hates <laughs> hates the playoff. I, I despise it. I, I love all the arguing that goes on, right? When you've only got two teams. I feel like if, if you if you got seven teams who lost one game, uh, too bad. You shouldn't have lost the one game. Um, you know, that like they're going to expand it to eight teams or 16 teams at one point, And all of a sudden we're going to have like a seven and six Notre Dame team that sneaks in on the backside because, you know, people want Notre Dame in there for TV ratings. But I, I'm, I'm glad you said that though, because one of my things with, Oh, I was never really worried about the Michigan rematch of the BCS that year was because my point was, my point was always, well, they had their shot. They lost to Ohio state. Now it's time for someone else to get a shot. But the BCS completely violated that with Alabama and LSU. So it sounds like we got something down the road in the BCS tower where they gave Alabama that next shot. So it sounds like we got something to debate later on. But if, if we want to set this game up here, we, we all know how it worked out with Meyer. So it doesn't really get questioned now. But at this time, like you, you got the offense is not, not really cooking. So like when you're talking style points, the offense wasn't like the 2008 offense that's just putting up a ton of points. Leak wasn't a great fit. He wasn't a natural runner like Tebow. And I, I actually remember when Kentucky came to the swamp uh, late September that year, there, there was a moment where Leak was booed. And I remember there being backlash about how can you do this? You remember that? A Florida quarterback getting booed? I, I, no, that would ne- that would never happen. We're we're not ever 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 uh, tough on our quarterbacks there at Florida. Straight, I mean, but for a guy that he Leak didn't have those like really low low moments. He had, he had a couple like where he he wasn't always at the highest level all the time. But it, we knew Tebow was a better fit for the offense. But I really think they did an incredible job in 2006 with that with that rotation. But Leak was a really good quarterback who was more effective than explosive in Meyer's spread. But I think everything that came together at the right moments and things ended up working out. And this type of game with South Carolina was not uncommon for Meyer's Meyer's first two teams at Florida. Yeah, I mean, you know, you you mentioned the offense. So they scored 29.7 points per game. That's 23rd out of 119 FBS teams at the, t- at the time. They were thir- they gave up 13 and a half points per game, which was sixth out of 119 on defense. So this was really defense. a defensive team yeah. that, that Urban Meyer used. And, and even if you look at, like, the schedule, you know, 34 to 7 over Southern Mississippi, 42 to nothing against UCF, no national championship that year. Um, you know, but then losing on the road 17 to 27 to Auburn. Um, even the game against Georgia, 21-14. Vanderbilt, 25-19. This one, obviously, we're going to talk about is close. They beat Florida State 21 to 14. Um, this was not a team. They beat 20, Tennessee 21 to 20 on a come, that was late tight night, one comeback too. on the road. Right. You know, so this, this was not a team that was blowing all of its competition out of the water, which is one of the reasons why I think people thought they needed style points mm-hmm. is that, you know, they weren't blowing people out, out early in the year. And so they needed to really establish themselves against teams that, quite honestly, weren't all that great. I mean, South Carolina, I think, finished this year eight and five. Um, you, know, you mentioned Leak. He, he had a QB rating of 144.9 this year. It's 136.5 the year before, 144.9 the year before that. You know, the thing was is he his QB rating, his touchdowns to interceptions, his yards per attempt basically didn't change from 2003 to 2006. Mm-hmm. And that I think is sort of the thing that, that Florida fans, they kept waiting for him to take that next step. And he never really took a next step. He was just a really effective quarterback, but he right. was not 
ever that five-star can't miss going to deliver you to a national championship type of type of quarterback. But, you know, I mean, teams like Tennessee have had that quarterback in Peyton Manning and then Manning leaves and all of a sudden then they're better just because the sum of the parts is better than having that one elite guy who can sort of bail you out. I think that's kind of what happened in this year. Yeah, that's a, that's a great synopsis. I definitely think that uh, they relied on that defense, though, for sure. But, but Leak had his moments, though. He, he, he had, and we'll see that in this game, too. Yeah, so, I mean, the, you know, there were a couple of themes through this game when I was rewatching it. I mean, the first thing that really stood out is that Brandon Seiler, the middle linebacker for Florida, he had a partial tear of his MCL, but he was still playing. And it's like, oh, they thought he was going to be out. And then he woke up today and felt okay. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, what kind of shot were they giving people? What kind of shots were they giving people back in, back in 2006? You can have a partial tear of your MCL, you're out, and then you wake up on Saturday and go, eh, I can go. He looked like he was pr- running pretty well in those pregame warmups they showed on CBS. Yeah, you could tell. He was he was yeah. labored when he was out there. And, yeah. and then Marcus Thomas, a defensive tackle who wound up playing in the NFL for the Denver Broncos, he had just been dismissed. So, again, you think about this mm-hmm. being a defensive team. And really, you know, you mentioned Zook's recruiting pretty stacked in ter- on the defensive mm-hmm. side of the ball, especially in terms of guys who are on that defense. And here's a defensive level – or an NFL-level defensive tackle who gets dismissed before this game. You know, he'd already missed the first game for a, for a drug suspension, and then I don't remember exactly what happened, but he got kicked off before this one. So, you know, Florida up the middle, missing a little bit of firepower. Yeah, big guy out of Jacksonville up the middle, defensive tackle. He uh, just kind of just kept having run-ins with the coaching staff, and I think eventually it just became too much. But kind of funny to think the type of athlete – I mean, he he might have been a first round pick if he stayed and played through. He, his draft draft stock fell, obviously with some character concerns. But he he might have been a first round talent that you lose in the middle of the season. That's pretty tough to recover from. And when you think back on the what ended up being the national title game with Ohio State, how dominant that defensive front was, it was missing Marcus Thomas. So ex, extra incredible to show the depth of the talent on that defensive front. Uh, so South Carolina had <clears throat> had Blake Mitchell starting at quarterback because Savell Newton, who'd started the week before at quarterback, was now playing defensive back. It's like, well, that seems like that would be in Florida's favor. <laughs> and it turns out Mitchell played pretty well, right? I mean, you know, the, the story of this game is Florida couldn't get South Carolina off the field. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the the first drive – they go right down. The drive stalls at midfield, but then they're able to pin Florida to zone eight, right? Um, and then Florida comes back and misses a short field goal after a bad shovel pass sort of kills that drive. And it felt mm-hmm. like that was almost the entire first quarter is Florida had to go the entire field because South Carolina was able to pin them deep. and then Or Florida made mistakes to end up deep, either for penalties or because they dropped kickoffs. And then Florida would drive right down the field, but then would make some stupid pen, some penalty or play or interception or something like that that would just end up costing them points. I mean, I felt like Florida left an awful lot of points on the field. Definitely. You could argue that on both sides, too. I mean, both, both teams moved the ball up and down the field. Uh, I thought when they missed that first field goal, Lundquist mentioned that kicker Chris Hetland – uh, that miss took him to two and nine on the season. And he was 13 and 16 in 2005. I remember Hetland being a solid kicker. I don't remember two and nine starts in 2006. Do you remember that? 
No, I don't remember that either. And it's interesting because I think they said later on that uh, Ryan Suckup for South Carolina was something like 13 to 14 coming into this game. Mm-hmm. And, and so obviously those, those roles were a little bit reversed. But, you know, so South Carolina was not devoid of talent in this one. They had Captain Munderland at defensive back for the Gamecocks, obviously NFL caliber. I already mentioned Savelle Newton, the quarterback, though, playing DB as well. And so certainly you wouldn't think NFL caliber, but, you know, South Carolina decided to play man-to-man the entire time all over the field. They were going to dare Chris Leak to beat them, and, and to be honest, it worked pretty well. Yeah, they def- uh, Gamecocks definitely had some talent on the outside. Munnerland had a long NFL career. I, I don't think he's still in the league. I think he might have last year or two been out, but should have looked that up before this. But he, uh, he was a very solid player in college, and he definitely kept uh, a lot of the Gators in check. Felt like a lot of the success came against uh, with Percy Harvin breaking down zone coverages uh, in the passing game. But when you look at South Carolina at that time, Spurrier was just getting started on that recruiting trail too. So I, I think that he was confident that they can hold him on the outside and let's focus on stopping the run. And it also goes to show some of the frustrations with Leak where – not a lot of in the spread option where the Meyer relies on the quarterback to run. We now know how much he loves using that quarterback to run. I mean, this is you're looking at an offense with without the real threat of a quarterback running. So South Carolina was able to kind of key in on that a little bit and slow the running game with Deshaun Wynn a little bit. Yeah, well, it's interesting. In the, in the second drive for South Carolina, it was a 13 play. 80-yard drive. Sidney Rice is at wide receiver, made a couple of big plays. But it's, it's interesting. This was not a Steve Spurrier type of offense, right? I mean, the fun and gun at Florida was chucked the ball all over the place, going down the field all the time. This was, you know, Mike Davis converting third and shorts. This was short little screen passes. Basically, they spread out Florida in some ways and then made the defensive backs cover. And Florida's defensive backs really struggled when it came to keeping things in containment. It felt like they were sort of instructed, keep South Carolina in front of you. But then Spurrier used that to his advantage. I mean, the second drive for South Carolina gets converted into a touchdown with 26 seconds left in the first quarter. So basically, South Carolina had the ball twice. Florida had it once. And South Carolina's up 7 nothing at the end of the first quarter. Um, you know, pretty impressive not only to move the ball against Florida with a backup quarterback, but also to really eat the clock. 13 plays, 86 yards. Yeah, unbelievable. And Sidney Rice, I believe that was the drive where he caught a little screen pass and just gave a stiff arm to uh, Ryan Smith. Uh, that might have been later. But I thought he, he had a couple of really nice plays on there. But it's not the Spurrier Gator fans knew from his fun and gun days, like you said. But it was the Spurrier we got to know at South Carolina. This is kind of how his teams ended up looking. They were kind of like gritty, defensive-oriented teams. They weren't really that high. We never really saw that high-flying offense develop in Columbia. <laughs> no, I mean, well, that's the thing. Even you kept thinking he was going to see it with Steven right. Garcia later when, when he came in. And they were obviously better at that point. But, um, yeah, this was sort of how he decided he needed to win with defensive teams at South Carolina. So sort of interesting to, to see that happen. There, there, were, there was one other thing in that second drive that I sort of took note of, which was that Earl Everett got hurt. So Earl Everett, the linebacker that everybody – who's not a Florida fan probably remembers from the national championship game, making a tackle on, on the Ohio state quarterback without his helmet on, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he gets hurt. He, he dings his shoulder. And all of a sudden now you got Siler who's got an issue with his knee and you got Everett who's out. And, and right after Everett goes out, Mike Davis runs, runs in for a touchdown. And and I don't think it's coincidence that, that he's the guy who, who ends up putting it in the end zone after, after Everett goes out. He ran right through his replacement, Dustin. No freshman. 
at the time. And by the way, that was the drive where Sidney Rice, he took a screen pass. He stiff-armed Ryan Smith at the time and to, to get South Carolina in the red zone. But what I, what I remember about Ryan Smith, he was a key player that corner for that defense. He died, I know the corner. He struggled a little bit in this game, like you said, with the corners. But he, was, he had played for Meyer at Utah. He was one of the first graduate transfers I can remember at Florida. Too. Yeah, well, that was I, kind of the beginning of this. Yeah, it was one of those things where you figured he was bringing the guy in from Utah. It was just sort of a, sort of a band-aid. And, and, and mm-hmm. in some ways it was, but, but Smith was a really good player. Yeah. Um, so we go, we go to the second quarter at 7-0 South Carolina. And, and Gary Danielson at this point is starting to get a little bit whiny because Urban Meyer or, or Dan Mullen is not giving the ball to Deshaun Wynn. He wants Deshaun Wynn to get the ball more, and he starts, yeah. he starts decrying the fact that they're giving it to the freshman. And the freshman, he means Tebow and Percy Harvin. And I'm like, all right, Deshaun Wynn played pretty well in this game, 12 carries for 90 yards, and he hit a big 21-yarder later on that we're going to talk about. But Harvin had six receptions for 91 yards, four carries for 20 yards, all on a high ankle sprain. And, and you forget how good he is until you start watching these replays. I think – it's interesting. I think in the Florida fan base, Percy Harvin isn't underrated, but I think nationwide he probably is because that guy was just unbelievable. Yeah, I think that Harvey kid has some real potential to turn into something down the road. He's got real potential. But you can't. You keep going back to Gary Danielson, and I guess I was just happy to go an entire game without a single reference to Nick Saban in Alabama. And granted, Nick Saban was not at Alabama yet, but still I just was like it was nice not to hear about Nick Saban in Alabama. Was Saban at the Dolphins at that point? Yeah, he's still in my uh, – Mike Shula. The, Alabama had actually come into to Gainesville at the end of September, and it was when uh, Florida first rocked those throwbacks that actually looked like you were reading Reaction logo there, and uh, Reggie Nelson had a huge pick in that game. So, so, what, was, so what kind of GoFundMe do we have to put together to bring Mike Shula back to Alabama? Oh, man. I think it's going to take some – we, we got to talk to some people. <laughs> I got some people to call. Yeah. Uh, Can't say their names publicly. <laughs> so, second quarter, Florida again takes the ball down the field. But this was one where Brandon James had muffed the kickoff. So, he only brought it out to no, the nine. I don't believe you. Brandon <laughs> James doesn't do that. <laughs> well, the only one you've ever seen him muff. But, you know, again, Florida moves down the field. They hit a big 28-yard throw to Andre Caldwell to the seven and then called back for holding on, on uh, the left guard, Jim Tart, and so f- forces Florida to punt. They were in South Carolina territory, and they pinned South Carolina deep. But again, South Carolina comes down the field. This was something I had forgotten. South Carolina comes down the field. Spurrier sends out Suckup to try to, 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 take, to attempt a field goal. He's 13-14 on the year at that point, and they get a delay a game right before he kicks it. And so then they have to punt. It takes that field goal off the board. Um, you know, again, when you're talking about close, close games, those start, sorts of things make a difference. That's one of those execution things that, you know, really comes back and bites South Carolina later. It, it was odd. There seemed to be some indecision on whether or not they were going to kick a field goal. And the field goal team kind of rushed on late. And Spurrier ended up he, – he saw the clock go to zero. And he, uh, he ended up spiking his game plan on the crowd. The visor was spared but the game plan was not – went straight to the ground. But another notable play from that possession, uh, they tried a reverse pass to Sidney Rice. They, t- they did a reverse to Sidney Rice, and Rice went up to pass to quarterback uh, Blake Mitchell. And Reggie Nelson was about this close to jump. He jumped the route. He's that close to picking the ball off, went right off his hands. He would have been straight down the sideline for six. So a couple, couple almost big plays, but, man, these drives – you look at it, Florida Florida would only end up with seven total possessions on the day. 
And you can see why with the length of these drives. I mean, Florida's first drive, they went 12 plays, 77 yards, close to five minutes before missing the field goal. The second drive ate up nearly five and a half minutes while only going 53 plays and nine yards. And then South Carolina puts another long drive together. I mean, both teams only ended up with three drives each in the first half. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, you think about it. Davis had 16 carries for 94 yards for South Carolina. And then Boyd, you know, he had he had 11 for 40. Corey Boyd, the other running back for, for South Carolina. So, you know, it's, it's – you know, you put up 134 yards on 27 carries, and then Mitchell was 24-33, not a lot of incomplete passes. It was a lot of third and three, third and four, mm-hmm. those sorts of things. They were able to convert and, and sort of go back to field – or go back down the field, you know, 434 left in the half, Florida gets its third possession. And you mentioned Reggie Nelson earlier and Danielson loved Reggie Nelson. That was like his favorite player, but you know, he, he picked up a punt sort of down in Florida territory and ran it back to the 24 yard line um, and, and really prevented Florida from having bad field position. And then that leads Florida going down the field, basically dumping it off to Harvin three or four times, moving it down the field. And then, you know, we, we talked a little bit about Chris Leak earlier. The Leak throws a touchdown pass to Dallas Baker. But that, I think, is why fans would get frustrated with Leak sometimes because Baker was open by, like, five yards. Yes. And he underthrew him by ten. And the, yeah. only, re- the only reason that ball gets caught and doesn't get intercepted is because Dallas Baker's, like, nine feet tall. First down and ten. Leak pumps. Goes back deep. Got a man open. Underthrown. But Baker has the catch. Dallas Baker, the touchdown maker. He beat he beat the corner right off the line. It's like you know your boy Gary said he leak woefully underthrew the ball, but Baker had to come back. He high pointed it. He actually bobbled it before falling over and reeling it in as he's crossing the goal line. But I also I, I they said this on the broadcast. I didn't realize that Baker his his uh, uncle is uh, Gator Great West Chandler, played in the seventies, played a long time, fourth time Pro Bowler in the NFL. Did you know that? I had no idea. You learn something yeah. new every time you rewatch these things. There you go. There you go. But, yeah, you're right, man. The, that, that, that play was wide open, and Leak puts a nice throw on it. That's an easy catch for a touchdown. Instead, Baker has to make an acrobatic grab. Uh, so, well, what it, did, what it did do, though, was pull Florida even, 7-7 going into the half. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I guess my halftime thoughts are it, it was a really weird vibe. It felt like Florida was just about to break loose. But it also felt like Florida could easily be down by 14. Um, and then I had agreed to go over to my grandmother's house just after the third quarter. And, and certainly um, I, I, I let my uncle know I might be late <laughs> at halftime. I was there going. That, that sounds like football season. <laughs> sounds like football season plans. <laughs> but it was, it was, I, the thing I found out about it is it's a really old school game for two coaches who are known for their offense. You know, we talked about their three possessions each in the first half, but Clearly, the Gamecocks, that was part of their game plan, was to slow the game down. But they weren't give, They were trying not to give up the big play. They weren't giving up much deep either. So Florida had to do the same thing. It's just very much just small chunks for two offensive coaches that put up a ton of points against everyone else. Yeah, well, you know, the other thing is, is that Leak was really underwhelming in the first half. Like, I, I know Meyer's offense wasn't a great fit for him, but he didn't run the ball at all in the first half. And, and certainly we're going to talk about that coming up in the fourth quarter. But, you know, not running the ball at all really – hamstrings this offense you don't get the numbers advantages you can't get your receivers in in sort of the the situations where you can start to take advantage of things and and 
it's interesting to go back. You know, you think about the Florida quarterbacks over the last couple of years with Felipe Franks, Kyle Trask, those sorts of guys. And Dan Mullen always talks about having a willing runner. That's sort of maybe what you felt in the first half is that Leak just wasn't that willing runner. It wasn't that he couldn't do it. It was just it wasn't something that he wanted to do, and it wasn't something I asked him to do very much. Yeah, I feel, I feel like they understood who he was. I feel like they used him well. Like where they didn't, It wasn't like Tebow where he had a lot of those design runs right away where I feel like they, they put Leak a lot of quick passes instead of running. They, they kind of gave him – tailored the offense to him a little more. Um, but it's oddly efficient. I know you're a numbers guy, Will, so I'm going to give you some interesting numbers I saw from halftime. 166 total yards in 27 plays, which it was oddly efficient because they racked up 16 first downs. That speaks to some of the sloppiness with some of the penalties, I think. But uh, just oddly – odd number of first downs considering the lack of yardage. But as to, in terms of Leak's fit in the offense, as good as he was, he did struggle from time to time. Like, things were often good, but the lows were very low. I don't know if you remember in 2005, he struggled mightily on the road and losses to Alabama. That was a real ugly game. LSU, and we talked about the South Carolina game earlier – and their only loss that season in 2006 was at Auburn, uh, another game I went to. That was, t- that was a tough one. Uh, good first half, not so much in the second half. He went, but he only went 9 for 17 for 108 yards before throwing a pivotal interception in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, we talked about the Florida offense. They hadn't scored over 28 points and in in, in only had one game over thir- 330 total yards in the cur- course of their first uh, seven SEC games. You know, the 2006 Gators – they were like a workmanlike team, and this South Carolina game was a workmanlike game. Yeah, I, I don't care what you tell me. That that play for Leak against Auburn was not a fumble. I, I refuse to <laughs> accept it was not a fumble. Go back and look at it, folks. It was not a fumble. So, <laughs> so we go to the third quarter. Florida's getting the ball first. James opens up with a big return, wiped out with a penalty, and Florida starts as a zone eight. Again, drive into South Carolina territory, and then Leak throws a bad – it's a bad-looking interception. I don't think this one was on Leak. I think it was either – I think a, a, a receiver ran the wrong route. But it was caught by a DB who – they were so South Carolina was in man-to-man coverage, mm-hmm. and it was caught by a DB who was not covering the guy who was the intended receiver for the pass. So somehow the route bought, brought the wrong DB in to, in to be able to pick the ball off. It was a weird-looking pick. Well, it's just when Florida, you know, they, they hit a crossing route to Percy, that young freshman kid that nobody knows about yet, apparently. So we, they hit that young uh, Percy Harvin on the crossing route that got the Gators up to midfield. Lines up at uh, running back the next play, kind of see that they're going to start to use them more in the second half. And just when they start to get some momentum going, both receivers are in the same area when, when Leak released the ball. And there's definitely some kind of miscommunication there. But luckily, South Carolina couldn't get out of their uh, – their own way too and they had a penalty on the the db had a nice return and it pushed the gamecocks back yeah so south carolina starts at their own 10 drives deep into florida territory again though and this time so suck up i completely forgot about this but he had a he had a kick blocked here right Mm -hmm. so it's a 7-7 game in the third quarter ray mcdonald comes right up the middle gets the kick blocked you know, and all of a sudden, Vern's talking about Frank Beamer numbers when he's mentioning Florida's ability to block kicks under Meyer. You know, it's interesting. You start thinking about teams that win championships and, and what it takes. And, you know, last week we were talking about Texas and USC, and there were some missed field goals there. And, 
you know, things that maybe could have turned the tide a little bit or forced the hand for some, for coaches to go for it on fourth down, you know, here, obviously suck up has been really, really good all year long, but, but to have a kick blocked in the third quarter, right up the middle. And obviously that's going to be a theme later. Yeah. McDonald just powered right through. I mean, he, he got, he was well through the line. I, I don't even understand how the blocking collapsed that badly, but that was a easy block. And uh, Reggie Lewis recovers at near midfield in South Carolina territory. Gators have great field position. Yeah, but, you know, it, it's funny because you, you mentioned we were talking about Zook earlier. And I feel like this game was sort of an ode to Ron Zook in that Florida just kept shooting itself in the foot every time they were given an opportunity or every time they drove into enemy territory. So, but on this one, they're already starting in enemy territory. And then they're getting a little bit cute. They've got Harvin coming in in motion, and the snap hits Harvin on the next drive and forces Florida to punt. So they didn't even get an opportunity to try to kick a field goal. No. It, you know, the, the snap hits him. This is like the fifth time Florida's driven into South Carolina territory and has come away empty, either because of an interception or a penalty or a missed field goal or something. And, you know, this was, this was the point where I really started to think, oh, crap. Like, this is one of those where you're like, it's, it's like it's the EA Madden game, right? Where, where the computer is just not going to let you win. Right. Every time you throw it, the ball bounces off somebody's hands and you're like, that play always works. And then, you know, their, their, their running back bounces off of three guys and they go for a touchdown. And that's what it felt like at this point. It was like, you know, South Carolina's making mistakes, but they should make mistakes, right? They're the inferior team. Florida being the superior team was starting to make mistakes that, you know, we had seen the last two or three years under Ron Zook, hadn't necessarily seen under Urban Meyer near as much. No, and I, I mean, these were golden opportunities that were just wasted. You had to even get in the field goal range and just hit a chip shot field goal was not asking much out of the offense. And you just got to the point where you're like, oh, man. It's going to be one of these days with the offensive game. And we had a couple of those. It's like I mentioned, in 2005, there was a couple of those games. Auburn was, like, kind of ugly on offense. They, they had a couple of those moments in the Meyer era, the first two seasons, and you're just like, all right, this is going to be one we're going to have to sweat out. You just kind of knew it was going to be like that going down the stretch. Yeah, well, you know, the other thing that you noticed at the end of the third quarter was that Brandon Spikes, and we didn't know this was a great thing at the time, Yeah, but Brandon Spikes came in with both Everett and Siler a Ailing, yeah, not he, bad. He, he comes into the game. That, that's a pretty good guy to have back it up your, you know, yeah. it, it is funny. These are the, these are the high level recruits, but you got spikes backing up Siler and you've got Tebow backing up leak. I mean, there was obviously a lot of talent waiting in the wings there for urban Meyer, but you know, I, I remember thinking when I was watching the game going, uh Oh, we got a true freshman playing middle linebacker and we're going to have to stop them potentially from running the ball. Um, but obviously, uh, obviously spikes might've even been an upgrade. Yeah, looking at it now. But, I mean, at the time, Siler was the leader of the defense and, and the, especially the vocal leader, too. Very important piece to be missing off the field. But, yeah, looking at it now, Brandon Spikes, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. But the, the next drive, Carolina did do most of their damage on the ground. They opened with six straight runs and picked up steady chunks on their way to a 47-yard field goal attempt from Suckup. Yeah, they they had a crackback block that was called that forced them into the field goal, though. Again, you know, this was sort of a a, a parody of errors here on, yep. on both sides. They, they helped out a lot. <laughs> so, 
you know, it was like a one yard rush on a second and five. And all of a sudden it's second and 20 at the Florida 43, instead of being at the Florida 28 um, and, and still able to get back in the field goal range and suck up makes a 47 yard field goal. So again, you sort of think if you're South Carolina, you're now up 10, seven and suck up sort of gotten back on, on track after having the, the one blocked up the middle figure. It's just a one-time deal. If you're Steve Spurrier, he hit it easily too. plenty of distance. Didn't oh, I mean, even guy, look like he tried that hard. Oh, the guy was a great kicker. Yeah. So yeah. it's ten seven South Carolina starting the fourth quarter. Basically, I think the first play of the fourth quarter is when Suckup hits, hits the field goal. Florida takes over, and this was when the offense really started to get going a little bit. So they take mm-hmm. over. Um, Deshaun Wynn hit a big run, about twenty yards. Gary Danielson went nuts. Um, then Cornelius Ingram takes a pass on the sideline, breaks a tackle, and rumbles for twenty seven yards. Awesome run. <laughs> then I, I wanted to get your your thought on this call. So, you know, Andre Caldwell is hit with an intentional grounding on a throwback pass to the quarterback. So Florida loses 16 yards. Y- you would uh, the funny part is is that earlier in the game, South Carolina calls basically the same play, and mm-hmm. Danielson's like, "Oh, that's Steve Spurrier for you," and then. <laughs> And then Mullen and Meyer call it, and all of a sudden it's like, you can't call that there. Like, you're getting too cute. Why are you so cute? And I'm just curious because I feel like this is one of those things, especially with announcers, not just Danielson. I'm going to pick on him here. Most announcers look at the result and say Mm -hmm. the result was bad, so it must have been a bad play call. And I look at it and go, you know what? Sometimes you got to take a shot. Like, they took their shot. It didn't work. Obviously, it's a risk-reward, right? If, if South Carolina doesn't see it coming, it's probably a touchdown. Um, the idea that it's a cheap touchdown doesn't really, doesn't really fit with me. But I'm curious what you thought about the play call. I, I do agree. If, you, if the play hits, you're a genius and you got guts. And if you don't, if it doesn't, you're an idiot. The, the announcers are very black and white about that. Uh, and, and the fans are, too. We, we the fans are, too. But I – I am normally all for a play like that, but I would have liked to see something like that in the second quarter. You're in the fourth quarter. The offense has been riding the mistake-prone struggle bus all day. Your field goal kicker's two of nine on the season, and you just entered it in the red zone. Like, do you think it was a good call setting it up that way? Yeah. When I set it up with all those facts, you're still on board with that call. I, I'm on board with that call. I, I, and, Keep and it I'll, simple. Well, and I'll Keep tell you why, because we've got two more situations coming up in this game where coaches had some stones. And it paid off for one and it didn't pay off for the other. At the same time, I really admire the fact that they took the shots. And, and I think when you, one of the things that you learn when you watch these games is that when you start playing prevent, when you start trying not to lose, when you start trying to hold on, you almost never win when you're trying to be conservative. And so I like the fact that he was being aggressive here. The other thing is, is that on the next play, they hit Harvin on a crossing route and all of a sudden they got a third and two. Well, that, right? that's so, all it, that's, those, that route worked all day. Harvin on a crossing route. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, but it, but it, but it works. But it works Just a lot. Go better. back to that well over work, and over again. It works a lot better on second and twenty-five than than it does on second and ten, right? That's, like South Carolina was. South Carolina gave him some room because it was second and twenty-five. The problem is when you give Percy Harvin room, it turns into a twenty-three-yard pass, right? And that was really sort of the story of the game when it came to those crossing routes to Harvin. They'd get it to him, and I don't think South Carolina really expected him to be able to turn a three-yard pass into twelve or fifteen yards, and he did it pretty consistently the entire game. Because he could either stop on it like right on a dime and bolt up field while three other guys are changing directions, like he'd be going this way, stop. The other guys keep going. He still goes right up field. Or there are about two or three times where he just beat the entire defense around the edge and then got upfield beating two or three guys to the sideline. I mean, 
That's what made Percy Percy. He was unbelievable. Uh, so the next play, Tebow fakes a run and misses the fullback wide open for a touchdown. It, it's funny because it's the same play he converts against Ohio State in the national championship game and, and really forces Florida to settle for a field goal, 22 yards. It's, it's interesting. It sort of shades the things that would frustrate people about Tebow in the NFL, right? Guys wide open, everything's executed perfectly, and, and the ball is just thrown on a line rather than with a little bit of air under it, and, yep. and they settle for a field goal instead of a touchdown. Really close, just right over his hands. He just a little high on the throw. But I mean, at this point, you're in the fourth quarter and you're you're in that stadium. The, the tension's pretty real at this point. I think this is probably the moment where you picked up the phone and called your uncle and said you're gonna be late for dinner. <laughs> well, I'm guessing at 10 10. So, so I, I I'll be honest, I'm not even sure we called him. We might have just showed up two hours late. Because <laughs> I was pacing behind my couch the entire time we were watching this thing up in Blacksburg because I had school the next or school, you know, the day before. But uh you know, hey, at this point, shout out to South Carolina fullback Leonard Stafford. You know, one of the I always get I always get entertained when they put up the scholar athlete and it's always somebody who's studying communications or public relations. Leonard Stafford, 3.5 GPA at electrical engineering. That's some impressive stuff for a, for a guy playing college football and electrical engineering. So, okay. so shout out there. Next week we'll be making fun of somebody for their uh, for their 2.8 in in uh, you know underwater basket weaving. But hey, electrical engineering this week for Leonard Stafford. So you know it's 10-10 at that point after Hetland hits the field goal. It's a 22 yard field goal. So what? He's now three for 10 on the year. Or something that, like that's that. an improvement. That's a big time improvement. Uh, so South Carolina again, right down the field for the go ahead touchdown. I mean, it, it's oh. six plays, 80 yards. It's the shortest play. Of the, it's the shortest drive of the, of the of the night. Hey, not only was it a good drive, but your boy Gary, who I'm just going to call Gary Danielson, your boy Gary from now on. Your boy Gary said it was the best drive called drive he'd seen in the last 10 years of college football. Davis to the corner, touchdown, South Carolina. That's the best called drive I've seen in 10 years in college football. Really? That was perfect. Every play call had a plan, executed. They knew exactly what they wanted to do, and he got it in for seven points. Well, the good news is, is Gary Danielson is not one to do hyperbole on a on a regular occasion. <laughs> the, so he meant it. <laughs> well, you know, it's the best drive he'd seen since Saban was at LSU. Let's let's be honest. That, that's oh, Saban. Oh, so he, he found a way to work Saban. He found a way. <laughs> but yeah, it was six. It was six plays, eighty yards, big passes to Sidney Rice to Kenny McKinley. Who Kenny McKinley was a solid receiver. That's a name that slipped out of my head. But watching him, I'm like, yeah, McKinley had some good good moments at South Carolina. But Davis takes it in from 11 yards out to put him up. But get the huge block uh, up the middle from Jarvis Moss just raising that right hand on that six-foot-seven frame. Yeah, I'm not sure what Suckup was doing because that ball didn't that get up weird. off the ground at all. Right? Yeah. And it's like, you know, you're taught as a kicker, I'm sure, to just, I mean – put a ton of air under it make sure it gets over right. the defensive line well, and he basically kicked it right into moss right and, and moss didn't even get a push the, some other defensive lineman got a push but moss was kind of on the line of scrimmage and just kind of stuck his hand up like that it just kind of hit his hand it was i was miraculous a little bit to tell you the truth well it is funny because i went back and looked and suck up he he ma- he only made 97 percent of his pats which sounds really good but that doesn't mean he missed 10 
right? So it's not as right. though this was the only one he missed. And you sort of think of these kickers who are, who you think of as excellent, who are making kicks from 55 yards out. And then you go, well, you know, so he, he did have some inconsistencies. So maybe it's not completely surprising that, that Suckup would miss that one. But, you know, uh, you got to get that ball up over the defensive well, line. Like that's the, like, you know, you yeah. can talk about the missed field goal earlier. You can talk about the missed field goal we're going to talk about in a little bit. But, you know, this is the one that cost South Carolina the game. Yeah, it was, and at this point, it's your second block kick, too, of the day, which probably I don't – Spurrier had to just be infuriated at that point. But you're just at over eight minutes left in the game, and at this point, you're not, you're not really – you need a big drive from an offense that can't be – that you, you haven't been really relying on all day, and the nerves are setting in if you're a Gator fan sitting in the swamp. The yeah, nerves are really setting in. Well, this is the one where I really go, you know, we talked about being aggressive earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, Leak on a third and seven escapes the pocket to get to fourth and one at Florida's 30. So fourth down in their own territory. And they bring in Tebow and run him for the first down. And, you know, this is one of those where if you don't convert it and they just kick a field goal, it's nine points, right? And yeah. The game's out of reach. Yep. And so to have the stones to say, you know what, fourth and one. And I mean, I, I am obviously a proponent of going forward on fourth down because I think it always makes sense from a statistical point of view, particularly when you can't get South Carolina off the field either. But, you know, it's really interesting to me that in his own territory, Meyer decides to go for it. And that's probably the thing that, that turns the game in Florida's favor. Yeah, and, and Leak's run on that third down, it was, it was a very uncomfortable-looking run. But he managed to twist and turn, and he got, he got real close to, to the marker. And then Tebow was just – by that point in the season, you knew what he was. He was a bulldozer. He was pretty automatic. In the stands, you're sitting there. You didn't even question the call because there was really never a doubt. But Tebow goes two two jumps and a fist pump right in front of the Gamecocks bench to cap off the run for the first down. Well, it's funny. I, you know, my, my boy Gary was talking about leak when he escaped the pocket. <laughs> and, and, he's like, and he's like, oh, he, he, he needs to put his head down. And I'm like, he clearly hasn't watched Chris Leak all year long <laughs> just very like kind of those shoulders are up when he's running it just it didn't look like it was like he did it because he knew he had to do it and I, I respect him for that I respect him for that very he, uncomfortable looking run though. he got it to fourth and one and again I think that's one credit that Dan Mullen's offense really does and yeah. Meyer's offense really does is it gets you you know those third and sevens you have the opportunity to get the fourth down but you're gonna have to have the stones to go for it and, and Meyer did here yeah yeah He's so ahead of his time on that. Yeah, so the very next play hits Percy Harvin on a crossing route again. For a crossing 20 yards. pattern that Percy Harvin works? Hey, you that's know, great see, news. That's seems, great news. Seems, seems like that's something you might want to do. And then the next play, 12-yard read option for Leak. A very comfortable-looking run. Right up the middle, very smooth. Just took it right up the middle. To, it just looked very in control. He had a couple of real nice runs at Florida, but it wasn't. it was few and far between. That was one of his better ones. Dallas Baker starts in motion, followed by Fred Bennett. Leak keeps it. How about this play? He had a 45-yarder against Alabama. This one not quite as far, but equally meaningful. Chris Leak. Yeah, well, this was before anybody knew what a read option really was. Yeah. So it's like, oh, a designed run for Leak. It's like that, was, that wasn't a designed run. He was, he was reading the defensive end. But, yeah. uh, you know, nobody knew that was actually how that offense ran yet. So 
Next play, this actually, again, is one of those, you know, what ifs. So, Savelle Newton, the guy we talked about, backup quarterback, last week's starting quarterback, has an interception go right through his hands. I mean, it's a tough catch, right? But mm-hmm. the ball hung up there. Leak was late with it, threw it a little bit behind his receiver, and it goes right through Newton's hands. And it sets up a third and seven. But at that point, I, I, you know, you were in the stands. I'm guessing that you were puckering up a little bit when that one went in the stand. When that puckering one went up here. a lot. Leak got away with one there. I mean, you talk about – I, I always say there's a lot of luck involved when you win a national title. Like, it's like we're talking about individual plays that could have changed the course of this game, and we have more to come still on, on this game. But, man, it's like he kind of sat back and he waited just a bit long, and he had the he had the route, but he needed to put it a little more to the right, and he kind of threw it right at the receiver. And, uh, man, uh, Newton, Newton went right off his hands, very close to being picked off. Would have been a tough catch, though, because he definitely had to high point it. Yeah, but, I mean, it, it sets up a third and seven. And, again, a quarterback draw for a first down with Gary Danielson yelling, that's the way you lay out when the game's on the line, Chris Leak. So, you know, trying to make the Florida fans. I can't imagine how this game would have been received on Twitter by Florida fans. Like, <laughs> they give Danielson crap. But in, in this particular game, he was uh, – in unique form, man. So <laughs> I, I can't imagine. Well, now he's your boy, so you got to defend him next time. You got to stick up for him. But we'll you see. Know, you know who he is. You, you, Gary's Gary, and you got to. You just got to appreciate Gary for being Gary at this point. Or 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 me at the TV. So or me at the TV. <laughs> but that was an awesome run by Leak. For the record, that was a great run. I would put. I remember when he got hit on this run. I was always on the edge of my seat. We talked about him looking a little uncomfortable early. I was always on the edge of my seat when Leak got hit at the end of runs. Like where Tebow was like built for this. Like Leak was not, and it was just you always worried every time Leak was heading in there about to take a hit, just just a little bit. But again, Leak when when push comes to shove, he put his nose down. He went and he went in, and he he had a lot of good plays. He was the key to this drive. Yeah, well, I mean, at halftime, I specifically wrote down that, you know, Leak hadn't run the ball at all. Yeah. And then you look up, and on this particular drive, he's got a six-yard run that makes it fourth and one. Mm-hmm. He's got a, a 17-yard run down to the twenty down to the South Carolina 23 for a first down, and then he gets a, a nine-yard run for the first down here. So putting that together, you know, absolutely enormous for this. And then they bring in Tebow. So 304 left and Tebow sort of the, the C parts and he just runs in for a touchdown. It it looked like they wanted nothing to do with him. It almost looked like they were letting him score. Almost. I I know that I know that conspiracy hat on there. I know they didn't because they're up by six and you know, you want to try to, you want to try to force him into a field goal or, or move him back or something like that. But it's interesting because I do suspect Tebow was in the game to give leak a blow because leak had been running so much. Mm -hmm. And then also just sort of run the clock, right? There's three or four left. If, if Tebow gets stopped, you know, four or five yards in, you've got second and short and you know two minutes left instead he runs in for the touchdown and you got three full minutes on the clock for South Carolina heading back the other direction yeah I don't think Urban Meyer and Dan Mullen had planned on Tebow scoring from 11 yards out but it was almost it was almost like he hit a crease and the second level just wasn't ready for it like they thought they thought he was gonna kind of run into a wall a little bit and he kind of just bursted through and uh just a weak attempt at a leg tackle a couple leg tackles and you know that doesn't work on 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 our Tebow, not our Tebow. Our no, Tebow. but it was a huge drive with the big finish from Tebow, but it's you really got to give Chris Leak the credit on that drive for using his legs in, in the key moment that really made the difference. Well, I mean, not only that, right? I mean, he's also – he hits the crossing route to – to Harvin. So, I mean, the big plays on this were the, were the throw to Harvin 
and then the rushing plays for Leak, and then obviously the touchdown run for Tebow. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, I agree with you completely. I mean, this is one of those, again, that love-hate relationship Florida fans have with Chris Leak is this particular year when they needed – when Florida needed him to step up, Leak was able to do it, and and that's why he's in that weird sort of middle ground where people – no, he wasn't an elite quarterback. At the same time, he was the starter on a championship team, and so there's an awful lot of respect there from the, from the fan base for for Leak. Yeah, I mean, I look at it as a guy who went through a lot, endured a coaching change, and and made the best of a situation that wasn't custom built for him. So, I mean, I, I think Chris Leak's story uh, is excellent. And I mean, the 2006 season, you couldn't have a better finish. I mean, I, was, I, was, I remember being really excited for Chris Leak, but especially when he had some key moments. And I know people talk about being Tebow's title. Tebow won two titles. It's like, this was Chris Leak's title in, in some way. I mean, it's all their titles. I'm not, I don't want to get into that game too much. But, like, Chris Leak was the quarterback on this team. And Tebow was that spark plug that gave you that extra oomph in the offense. And he was definitely a key pivotal playmaker. I mean, he finished the drive with the 11-yard run. Awesome play. Tebow and Harvin definitely had their impact on this team. But, man, Leak, you really you needed to count on Leak week in and week out. Yeah, so, you know, again, still three minutes left. South Carolina gets the ball back. Florida, of course, in prevent defense, a two-man rush. And South Carolina all of a sudden is in Florida territory with a minute 40 left and three timeouts. They hit a little button hook for 12 yards to to get down to the 41, right? So at this point, so it's Mitchell completes it to Freddie Brown, 12 yards to the Florida 32. They call timeout, and you're sitting there going, okay, they're at the 31. And this is the place where I think, again, I talked about coaches taking shots. Um, you know, on the next play, South Carolina runs the ball, loses two yards on the run and let the clock run down to 22 seconds. And mm-hmm. then they call timeout. And this was one of those where you sort of figure, oh, South Carolina is going to kind of run the clock down, and they're going to kick a long field goal and, and that sort of stuff. And, and that is not what came, because Spurrier called a dagger down the middle of the field on the next play, wide open, complete the pass, but his left guard just barely moved before the snap for a false start. So this is, again, one of those things where, you know, Spurrier took the shot. In fact, he kind of baited Florida into thinking I, that they were settling for a field goal. And then man-to-man coverage, you could see the, the DB just bit, thinking he needed to sit on the route. And, man, it was open, wide open down the middle. That, to me, is one of the biggest what-ifs in the game, is that if, if the left guard doesn't just move just a little bit, I think South Carolina comes out of this one pretty, with, a, with a win. It was a late movement, too, because you watched the replay, and I kept waiting for it, and it was, like, right at the last – like, right before he snapped at the guard move. But, yeah, slant and go, beat the DB. I believe it was Ryan Smith just beat him by a little bit. Ryan Smith was with him, but he jumped uh, – the receiver went up and made the catch at the seven-yard line, and, man, what a break. Sometimes you're, sometimes you're more lucky than good. That's all I can say about that. Well, and the interesting thing is because they had run the clock down, there wasn't a whole lot of time left. And so they, South Carolina hits a quick slant then to the 31. It sets up a 48-yard field goal with eight seconds left, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're there. You're in that stadium. Okay. Here comes the field goal from Suckup. What, what, are you feeling, what are you feeling before he kicks? Do you think it's going in? And where were you in the stadium? Could you, could you see it coming at you? Like, where, where exactly were you? So I was actually – this was one of those games where, for those of you familiar with Florida Field – Basically, the student section at this time, which I, I, it might still run like this, but it ran from about close to midfield, like toward the band in the end zone through like kind of behind. I had a couple times where I sat behind the goalpost even 
but we were kind of we were really high up in the stadium near midfield. So, so was you, it was it going towards the goalpost with the band, or it was or going what? toward the goalpost with the band? Okay, yeah, yeah, it was. The kick was, and I felt not good, not good. Uh, I looked at I, but I have the, my buddy, and he he's the type. Uh, my my buddy Alex, I'm talking about you, like when. Uh, he, he's the type of guy, he'll, he'll he'll predict a lot of things, but you never hear about the prediction when when he doesn't get the prediction right. But we took a – Florida took a timeout, I believe, and uh, I remember my buddy saying, we're, we're going to block this. Like, he was like – he just like – I was like, dude, we're not – like, I was like – I mean, I think I was sitting there. I'm doing, I'm doing one of these, you know, some one of these. I'm not feeling good. So I know Suckup's a good kicker. He's like – he, he, he grabbed me. He's like, bye, bye, Jordan. Dude, we're going to block this. It's going to happen. And I said, there's zero chance. We've blocked two kicks already. It's not happening a third time because you got to think someone on the special teams is getting fired after this game if that happens again. But I said, pray for a miss because it's the only shot we had we have at this point. So they come back, and I'll let you take it from here, Will. As they say, the haze in the bottom. Crowfoot, most significantly, Ryan Suckup, involved for South Carolina on this play. It is blocked! Moss again! Jarvis Moss again! Urban Meyer is still not lost in the swamp. And Florida's dreams of a berth in the BCS title game remain alive by a very slim margin. Man, I mean, one I'm sitting there behind my couch, going crazy late for late for dinner. It's getting dark outside. Sort of the ambiance as the lights come on at the swamp. Mm And, you know, like you said, Florida called a timeout to ice him. And, I mean, the national championship is hanging in the balance, right? And, yep. and for people like us who are Florida homers, um, you know, you're just sitting there going, oh, oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And, you know. It, that being so, it was very loud when he lined up for that kick. Yeah, well, and, and that's we one of the things. I, for that. <laughs> that's one of those things that's a little bit underrated is, you know, does the timing get thrown off a little bit because of the noise and, and the pressure, and you've had a couple blocked already. And, you know, again, Jarvis Moss, right? I mean, he got, he got up awfully high on this one. This wasn't hey. one of those where it got kicked right into him. I mean, this was no. one where he knew it was on the line and he really went for it and, and got it. But, again, right up the middle. This, this is one where the not only is the special coach, special teams coach probably running sprints after this, but the long snapper oh. is probably running sprints after this one too because, uh, you know, the middle of that line he, on the special teams for South Carolina really cost him. But he jumped. He was, like, fully in the air. I don't know if you've ever seen a freeze frame of that photo, but he was fully in the air. I mean, he, he was – it was it went off that left hand. And, and just – you get the thud. Like, you just, like – there was total pandemonium. I mean, I don't know if you can hear how excited I am just talking about this, but it's definitely the loudest single moment in my four years at, at UF. The place just exploded. 
And we were actually, so we're in the student section. We're standing on top of the bleachers, which are, they always don't do that. Don't say that. So we were on standing on top of the bleachers to get a better view. And my buddy jumped on me as I was jumping up and we crashed out of the road in front of us. But you know, we're 20 years old. We jumped right back up and kept going, but it's, it's one of my favorite memories in the swamp, especially when you consider what it led to a 2006 national title. Yeah, well, you know, nobody was stopping any sort of celebration. I know they tell you not to run on the field. They tell you not to do all sorts of stuff. But that was one of those where I'm sure oh, nobody was stopping. You know, Jarvis Moss, six foot seven. Yeah. 260 pounds. That, that's a big dude. And he was not a three-star recruit. Five-star recruit, 18th ranked that's nationally. You know, and, and then a first-round pick in the NFL draft, right? So he was an athletic freak and, and needed every inch of it to get this one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he, got, he got way up there. I almost can't even fault South Carolina on that because I think you just had – we just had a 6'7 freak. I think even Meyer even said that after the game. They asked him about Jarvis. He's like, he's a freak. It's just all he said. <laughs> it's just like six foot seven freak on our team that just made a hell of a play at the, at the perfect time. Yeah, so Florida wins this one 17-16. You know, it's interesting that the big takeaways I have from this one are that this 2006 team was really the masters at shooting themselves in the foot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everybody lauds the Tebow leak combo. And, and I admit that it was something that I, look back, that I look back fondly on. But, you know, I do wonder whether it killed some of the continuity. You know, flipping them in and out and all that sort of stuff. You look at all the mistakes, the, the, the snaps that get screwed up, the penalties, you know, those sorts of things. The interceptions that are thrown because guys are running the wrong routes. You know, are those things that happen because there wasn't continuity? Now, obviously, Florida fans were used to quarterbacks going in and out in the Spurrier era. So, this wasn't that far out. I was about but- to say, 93, Terry Dean, Danny Warfel, 97, Doug Johnson, Noah Brindice, 98, 99, Johnson, Jesse Palmer, 2000, Jesse Palmer, Rex Grossman. It wasn't a new thing in Gainesville. Yeah, well, the other thing is, is I get why Ohio State was favored in that national championship game. I mean, after watching this game, um, you know, I, I guess, you know, you mentioned earlier Alabama and LSU sort of breaking the BCS by having them play a rematch. But, mm-hmm. you know, again, that was a real debate, right, is because Florida won this game 17-16 and then only beat – and then had a cupcake for, you know, FCS team next the week after and then beats Florida State 21-14 to – um, you know, there, there was obviously a pretty large continuity of, of people who were saying the best teams are in the Big Ten. Why don't we just have them play again? Obviously, Florida proves they're wrong, but, um, you know, and, and really sort of establishes the SEC. The, you know, the 2006 season was the first championship in that big, long run for the SEC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State that season, big-time offense. They were number one for most of the year, led by Heisman winner Troy Smith and Ted Ginn who I don't know if you recall, but Ted Kinn lost for the game after that opening kickoff. He was basically Ohio State's Percy Harvin. And this wasn't the trestle ball style of team that OSU squeaked by so many games to win in the 2002 national title. This was a big-time offense. They had gone into Austin earlier that season. They they beat up on the number two Longhorns in a really convincing win. They put up 42 on number two Michigan to end the season. And they only failed to score 30 points three times all year. So – it's still – it honestly still shocks me how badly Florida beat Ohio State that night. Uh, just in terms of even just shutting down that offense. Not not that Florida played good and, and won, but I, I would have thought Florida would have had to play an excellent game on defense and the offense would have had to play its best game all season. And, uh, I mean, 
that is what happened, but I just it's still stunning looking back on how how bad of a whooping that was. Yeah. The other thing is I, I still can't believe Rutgers is a big reason that Florida <laughs> won the championship. That still just floors me. It's you know, I know it I know it's true, but it's something I had completely forgotten when it came to that season. I'll spare everyone my rendition of on the banks of the old Raritan. But uh, Shiano definitely he had Rutgers playing some ball back then. They they were they were a tough team. They were a great team. A lot of, a lot of guys that went on to play in the NFL. So, well, Shiano's done a lot of a lot of good for us too. Because as Florida fans, we got to go through the whole debacle <laughs> of Tennessee trying to hire him a couple of years ago, and then uh, you know Clay Travis leading the revolt of the Tennessee fans, getting him fired before he even started. So, well, if Trey Clavitt, uh, Clay Travis says it. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> So, big picture, Urban Meyer goes for it on fourth from the 30. He faked a punt deep in his own territory against Arkansas in the SEC championship game a few weeks later. And that's a big reason Florida won the, won the championship in 2016. You know, and, and we talked earlier about, you know, the, the reverse pass. Was it the, right, was it the right call? You know, fortune favors the bold. And I do wonder, you know, did he learn that here? Did he learn that from Spurrier? This was one of those, you know, if, if that fourth down at his 30 goes wrong, he's going to get criticized for it. Right. And you know, if, if the fake punt deep in his own territory against Arkansas goes wrong, he's going to get criticized for it. But I think in this game in particular, you know, that fourth down was absolutely necessary to win the game. And, and this is one of those things where I think you look back and go, you know, I forgot about that fourth down conversion, but it's a huge deal. He, he's the type of coach that every fan says they want, where you want the aggressive coach that goes for it in the right moment has the stones to do it like you like you've been saying but I believe on that SEC championship drive he ended up blowing two or three timeouts on that drive too and uh Wandy Pierre-Louis bailed him out with the fumble recovery in the end zone so that kind of worked out but things just kind of especially this time in Florida you know minus his last season I would say things tended to work out for Herb he just kind of figured out a way like he took his chances but he, he didn't he might not have always out schemed or out coached in a given game but he definitely knew he had the talent on his side and he let those guys play. Like he, he just didn't, he wasn't one of those coaches to tighten up in a big moment. Yeah. So, you know, I like looking back at these games and saying, what ifs? So, you know, do you have one in particular you look at and say, this is the play that I look at. And if it had gone the other direction, then South Carolina gets the win. I'm going to, I'm going to go with that interception on the goal line that the near miss interception on the goal line. I think, uh, I think your boy Danielson even said that would have been a winning play if he would have made that interception. And will he said that because if he would have made the interception, they probably would have won. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the old booger McFarland uh, <laughs> announcing there, buddy. But uh, yeah, I, I, the, the false start on the, on the dagger down the middle for South Carolina, that, that's the one where you're just like, I understand why they have those false start calls, but it didn't impact anything. It was a beautiful play call for the perfect moment in the game. And to have the left guard ruin it by just kind of barely moving um, is one that, you know, that guy's got to feel terrible. That's the one that he's, uh, you know, that, that's the one that I think that, that if you're Spurrier, you're going to bed thinking about that particular play. Yeah, if that, if that call holds up, I mean, you cost you cost the Gators the national title. Like, where if they if no offsides, that call that that call stands. That does that completely change the tenor of the Urban Meyer era? I mean, I think part of the amazement with the Urban Meyer is like two national titles, in in 
what, five, five years, six seasons there, two national titles. Yeah. I mean, well, so obviously this one, right. I mean, you, this one, if you don't win this game, you don't win the title that year. Um, you know, 2008, I still think they probably get that one just because yeah. of the sheer force of the talent. Though, again, you start thinking about the loss to Ole Miss in 2008. Is that viewed differently if they lose this game against South Carolina right. and then run the table? So it, it's, a great, it's a great point. And so we've we got a couple of things that we, you know, on each of these episodes we go through. One of them is called Donald Trump Lies We Tell Ourselves. And it's not meant to be political. It's just meant to be an indication that politicians lie to you. But you know, to me, this was – Spurrier knew this was a shot. And I really do think he and South Carolina fans think he could have built South Carolina into a SEC powerhouse with a program mm-hmm. defining win like this. Um, he still get, got an SEC title, got to the SEC championship game, but, but Meyer was dominant up until things started to fall apart. And this was sort of his shot to turn the narrative. So the lies we tell ourselves I'm giving this week to the South Carolina fans um, for thinking that this was Spurrier's opportunity to, you know, that's what they're telling. That's what I'm telling myself. If I'm a Gamecock fan, right. I'm telling myself that, you know, Oh, if we could have just gotten this one, Florida's trajectory would have been ours. And I don't think that's actually the case, which is why it's, which is why it's the lies. But I think that's what they were thinking coming out of this one. Well, and personally, you know, Spurrier, this one has to haunt him. He had to have wanted this one very badly. I don't think at that point South Carolina had won a game in the swamp. So this would have been their first win in the swamp to come home to spoil Florida's championship season, maybe stick it to the Gators for not hiring them a little bit. I'm sure that would have been a sweet win for the old ball coach. Uh, But I think the thing that, too, you look at this game uh, and and really just you look at Myers' time, like this, we talk about this 06 team, it wasn't really – you felt like it was ahead of schedule. You were ahead of schedule with everything too. So it's like you, it's like we said, like if, if Florida loses this game, how how does that turn the narrative? Like does that does that make them does that in 08 when they lose to Ole Miss, does that get in their heads a little more like, oh, we can here's another team that's we feel like we're more talented than that we let them come in our house and beat us. Like I, I think the fact that that Ole Miss thing was such like a one off situation that kept their confidence, but Maybe the lies we can tell ourselves for as a, from Florida's perspective is the South Carolina could have shook the 08. The, if we lost to South Carolina in 06, that could have shook the 08 season too. Yeah, so the Urban Meyer indigestion moment of the game brought to you by Papa John's. So Papa John's, reach out to us if you'd like to sponsor us. But <laughs> but what do you have here as, the, as the, the moment where you were gritting your teeth or biting your nails? Well, I'm actually going to break the rule here, and I'm going to go outside of, of the game because the celebration lasted for a couple of days, and I, I don't, I don't want to ruin it. It was, a, it, was a, it was a great moment. But it was interesting that Urban Meyer suspended Jarvis Moss that Monday for the Western Carolina game. It was funny how players always seem to get suspended for that game right before Florida State, the FCS game right before Florida State. So it was good that Jar- Jarvis Moss was on the field. Well, that's going to be interesting with the 10-game SEC schedule this year. They're not going to be able to do that this year. Yeah, so. where's the suspension games? So Arkansas. We, well, we're just, just going to have to get some clean urine for, uh, for, for some of the players. Uh, so, so the Allen Covert Award. So Adam, Allen Covert, for those who don't know, is one of the guys who's always in all of the Adam Sandler movies. So, you know, sort of the guy who, looking back in the game, you remember him being a key part of the team or a key part of this game in particular, but not necessarily one of the stars. So, you know, when, when you look at this game or you look at these teams, who, who do you sort of have in that role? Dallas Baker, the touchdown maker. 
grabbing that grabbing that underthrown ball. He had a couple nice catches on the game, but I wouldn't say he was a standout in this game. But that that touchdown catch, he, he had a couple nice third down catches at the sticks too. But uh, really, that touchdown catch really meant a lot. Yeah, for the Florida team, I have Brandon James for the overall team. That's somebody that I had really sort of, you know, you look at the team and you're like, Meyer had guys who were track athletes who only played on special teams. That's how much talent he had because James was an unbelievable returner. He really struggled in this game, but it, it was interesting to me to 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 look and 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 see James out there. The other one was Mike Davis, right? I mean, he was the guy. He was great. He was yeah. the guy who stood out to me, and he's also one of the guys I believe Zook recruited him to Florida. Might have even decommitted. I can't. I can't quite remember the entire story, but I remember coming into this game. Mike Davis had Florida ties, or at least had been involved with the Florida program in some capacity, and he was somebody who, you know, ran for over ninety yards. Was was always pushing the pile forward, and you know, for a Florida defense that completely shut down Ohio State a few weeks later, you know, Davis was really able to move the ball, even in even in even times that he did get hit behind the line of scrimmage, he'll turn into a two-yard, three-yard gain, keep Blake Mitchell ahead of the sticks, and then obviously Florida just couldn't get off the field. Right. Yeah, Dave, Davis was very solid. Boyd was very solid. There was a play – I'm trying to remember at what point in the game. Do you remember the tight end, Boyd? There was a tight end named Boyd on South Carolina where it was his first catch of the season, and he was just wide open. Mitchell hits him. He catches the ball about 30 yards downfield, turns. Tony Joyner's about to hit him, and he just levels Tony Joyner and continues rumbling up the sideline. Do you remember that play? Oh, yeah. Well, that was one of the ones on the best uh, – on, on Gary Danielson, best touchdown drive ever. That was incredible. I, I, the, guy, the guy literally caught it and just looked for contact right away. He was like – he, he, he laid the contact into Joyner. Joyner was a hard hitter, too. I was impressed with that play. But James, Brand James, great pick by you there. He was he was a really solid running back out of St. Augustine High School, but really mostly a return man at Florida. Got to play a little bit of backfield later in his career. But has, has, my question I had for you was, has Florida had a better return man since Brandon James and don't you dare say Andre DeBose? <laughs> well, DeBose has one more year of eligibility due to COVID. We need, we need to bring him back. Him and uh, Hunter Renfro are, bo- are both back this year because he was good for about two kickoff returns a year that would get called back due to penalty. <laughs> uh, you know, so yeah, James was an awesome returner. I, I miss having that dynamic. Freddie Swain last year for Florida was Mr. Dependable, never, oh, yeah. really, never really fumbled anything, solid, but, but also did, just solid, right? Didn't return it for touchdowns, anything like that. So hopefully, Florida will have somebody, somebody this year who can do that. But uh, so Florida wins this one 17 16, obviously, on the way to the national championship. Um, this one has a special place in our hearts, but you don't get a game nicknamed the cock block without having to review it when you're, uh, when you're, uh, you know, when you're doing something like uh, 2020 hindsight. So next time, you know, Nick is going to uh, going to encourage me to let the hate out of my heart oh, as, wow. as we relive Ohio State versus Miami in 2003, the Fiesta Bowl for the national championship, where we ask key questions like, was it really pass interference? Yes. Um, how good would Maurice Claret have been if he'd stuck around? Um, all time. Is Jim Tressel just a little better version of John Cooper if they don't pull this one out? No. Um, and, and how can he possibly like Ohio State? These are the questions we're going to be, we're going to be going over next week. So anything you, anything you got to, to wrap this one up or, or preview the next one? 2003, 2003 Fiesta Bowl was a pivotal, pivotal game in college football, I feel like. It was a really kind of the tail end of the Miami dynasty and uh, really kind of the emergence of the Ohio State that uh, Will knows and loves today. 
Ugh. So that's my co-host, Nick Knudsen. You can find Nick on Twitter at Nick Knudsen FB, writing at Read and Reaction or his website, AmericanFootballStories.com. My name's Will Miles. You can find me on Twitter at WillMilesSEC or at my website, Read and Reaction. Remember to like and subscribe on YouTube, leave iTunes reviews, support us on Patreon by following the link in the show notes. Really appreciate your support. Hopefully you're having as much fun as we are recording these. So this has been 2020 Hindsight. We'll see you next time.